Welcome back to the Jeff Becomes Jeff podcast. I want to thank all of you for tuning in and sticking around after last week's Weird Dreams episode. Hopefully I did not lose any listeners that are thinking to themselves, Jeff's completely out of his gourd. I don't think I can listen to him anymore. Yes, you can, because there's a good chance that if you're even a small fan of the show, you yourself are likely at least a little bit out of your gourd. So speaking of the Weird Dreams episode, I will say I was having some issues with when editing that episode, and it just kind of continues to prove that I'm continuously in a learning and adjustment process when it comes to this podcast. Obviously, for anyone who listened to the Weird Dreams episode, being my first dedicated episode on a one-a-week schedule now that I've shifted down from two episodes per week, I knew it was going to be a longer episode, which is fine, and it was. It was about an hour edited, which meant that I probably had close to 90 minutes worth of actual recording time. A lot of that is just pauses, breaths, taking a drink, stuff that I cut out, but a much larger file size than normal. And without trying to get into too many boring details and explain, this is going to sound weird, and I think I've explained this in more detail in previous episodes, but I record the actual episode in one software, Adobe Audition. I then export what I recorded into a WAV file because a WAV file is the highest quality, least compressed file that I can export. And the reason I do that instead of an MP3 file is because when you export into files that compress the audio, like an MP3 file, you can lose a little bit of quality. So since I know I'm going to import it into Cubase to do all of the editing and production and export it from Cubase as an MP3, import that MP3 into Audacity, and then re-export it from Audacity as another MP3 with all of the tags and things that the internet recognizes with the title and the description, yada, yada. Again, getting very geeky and technical. I apologize. My point being is that first export, I like to try and do as a WAV file just to make sure that I'm not having compression quality loss on the first export, a little bit more on the second export, a little bit more on the third export, and there's probably not a lot of noticeable quality loss when it comes to MP3 files of just speaking, since this isn't like a music project with a bunch of different instruments and frequencies and EQs. It's just my voice, but it's just the habit I've always been in. However, a 90-minute WAV file can be a pretty big file. So I exported that file, and then I imported it into Cubase to start doing my little snips and nudges and crossfades and things that I do to tighten up the spoken part of the podcast for you guys. And every little thing I try to do, click to do a slice, click to do a nudge, click to do a crossfade. After every click, I would have to wait two to three seconds for the computer to process what I was doing before I could do anything else. It was a freaking nightmare. It was taking me forever to the point where I finally was like, something's not right. I'm assuming it's probably my computer, which isn't state-of-the-art. It's not, you know, it's probably, I don't know, over five years old. And these audio software programs, they are resource hogs. They use a lot of memory, a lot of processing. So now I'm wasting like an hour, 90 minutes going through my computer, trying to clean stuff up, trying to go into my task manager and end processes that might be running in the background thinking something's got to be bogging this down because it's normally never like this. And that didn't work. So then I was like, screw it. I, I have to get some progress done. So I just dealt with it and I was 
getting about six minutes worth of editing done for every hour of work I was doing. Not good. Not when you have 90 minutes that you have to trim down to whatever the finished product is. So I got what I could get done in that first night. Again, a lot of wasted time in troubleshooting, issues with my computer performance. So night two, when I returned to it, it's very slow again. I did a reboot of the computer. I checked for any updates. I disconnected the Wi-Fi, just making sure that maybe like some antivirus running in the background isn't hogging up resources and making it difficult. Of course, it's very different than every other time that I've done a podcast. So something is amiss, but I don't know what it is. So again, I'm spending time ending processes that are running in the background, go back in, do the editing. Nothing has changed. So I just spend hours getting about six minutes per hour done. And by the end of night two, I was probably about, I had about 25 minutes of edited time, which now the 90 minutes of recorded podcast was shorter because I trimmed some of that out, but I was still not even halfway through the podcast editing with only two more nights ahead of me to work on this before it needed to be uploaded and released. So I did what I could do on night two. And then on night three, I came back and had an idea. You know what? I'm going to do a little process of elimination. I'm going to open an old podcast episode in Cubase, the software I use to edit and produce the podcast episodes. And I'm going to see if I have the same problem with that. Maybe it's something specific to this particular episode or this file that I pulled in. And sure as shit, I had no issue. Everything ran smooth as hell on the other file. And I'm like, okay, there's a problem. So I went back into where I originally record the episode in Adobe Audition. I exported the live recording, only focusing on the section of the recording after where I had already edited. So I'm not making the file any bigger than it needs to be. I dropped that in to Cubase and everything was perfectly fine. So it was just a matter of me exporting as a WAV file. The file was huge. Every little slice, every little nudge, every little crossfade, everything I did. The problem was, is it was trying to process that entirely huge 90 minute WAV file. So that was causing that two to three second lag between every click or activity that I did in the software, which means I wasted a lot of time on the first two nights. But boy, was I so excited on night three. It was like a blessing. It's like, I just kept saying, oh, this is awesome. Oh my God, this is great. Even though it was just operating the way it normally does, there was nothing special about it, but it felt amazing after the previous two nights of absolute frustration and slowness. All that to say, moving forward with this episode, I will be exporting the file as an MP3. No more WAV files for daddy. I'm sure that this was a very technical, geeky, boring update for you guys, but it was a pretty significant aspect of my week last week. And because I had already recorded the Weird Dreams episode, it's not like I could tell you about this frustration in that episode. So I'm telling you now, deal with it. So another update again, now two weeks, no stairs attempting to kill me. The bruise on my right butt cheek is visible, but barely. It's very faded. However, I still still have this knotted mass of tissue in a just line across my entire right butt cheek on the upper portion of the cheek where the kind of swelling was. So it looks like I have an extra rib, but in my right butt cheek. 
So hopefully that will eventually go away. Otherwise, the right side of my tushy is going to look weird for the rest of my life. Not that anyone's paying attention to my tushy or seeing it in an exposed manner to where they would notice that there's a rib in it. But hopefully by the time this episode is released and certainly by my next update next week, my ginormous tushy bruise should be expired. So another update kind of relevant to my updates from last week was that I had mentioned that, you know, Ohio is finally experiencing cold winter temperatures, which we didn't really get a whole lot of in November or December. It kind of really hit right on January 1st, right as the new year took over. But at the time of updating you last week, I mentioned we hadn't had any noticeable precipitation or snow. I probably jinxed us because we got some. We were supposed to get, eh, I guess depends on what news source you look at, but three to five, four to six inches. Get your minds out of the gutter, four to six inches of snow. And it was supposed to fall this last Sunday, start coming down around like four or five o'clock. So I was out and about in my car, I don't know, not terribly far from home, but not close to home either. And I was doing things that I needed to get done before the snow would fall, or I was okay being out even after the snow started to fall and just make sure that I would be home before it started to fall enough that it was going to make the roads treacherous. And typically, here in Ohio, the snow crews, they know that the snow is coming and they will send trucks out to salt the roads in advance. They deal with this every year. They know how it works. But I will tell you, I did not see one daggum truck the whole time that I was out and about that afternoon. And sure as shit, when the snow was supposed to come, well, snow didn't come, but freezing rain did. And very quickly turned all of the roads into an absolute sheet of ice. I discovered the road was a sheet of ice because a car in front of me started to apply their brakes and their left turn signal to turn left on a road, and they just started to kind of slide into the other lane as they went to turn, realizing, oh, my car's not stopping, I'm not going to make this turn. Luckily, there was no traffic coming immediately on the other side, and they were able to kind of correct themselves back onto the road, and I, of course, applied my brakes seeing all of this happen and realized I wasn't stopping, and I'm like, okay, it's time. Time to get my bruised, swollen tushy back to the house. And then, of course, we did get some snow, maybe like two to three inches. It was less because the original precipitation for the first couple hours came in the form of freezing rain. Now, for those of you who do not live in a environment where it snows regularly or like it does in Ohio, I will tell you that one of my least favorite scenarios is when freezing rain, sleet, or anything like that comes first, followed by snow. Because what happens is you have a sheet of ice on your driveway and then the snow piles on top of it. So then when you go to shovel your driveway, you're not really shoveling down to the asphalt. You're just shoveling down to the sheet of ice. And now the more you shovel, the more slippery the driveway becomes. Luckily for me, there's no stairs close to my driveway. Otherwise, I'm sure I would be deceased at this point and you would not be hearing this episode because they would have taken advantage and absolutely destroyed me. But I was delicate. I was careful. I managed to shovel the driveway, not even fall once, and then just salt the hell out of it to melt down the friggin' ice. I'm sure there's going to be more snow coming this way. February is usually when it can get really nasty, but so far it's been a pretty mild winter. Knock on wood. 
the last update I will provide to you is the Cincinnati Bengals won a playoff game. Not only that, but the first playoff win in 31 years. I was raised in Cincinnati until I was almost 13 years old, so whether I wanted to be or not, I was a Bengals fan by default. I have not seen the Bengals win a playoff game since I was, I want to say, a sophomore in high school. So it's been a while. Many of you might not give a shit about football, about the Bengals. I know a lot of you guys are not even in the United States of America, some of my listeners. But for anybody who does follow the NFL, whether you like the Bengals or not, I'm a happy camper. By the time this episode comes out, the Bengals will have played the second playoff game against the Tennessee Titans, a game they absolutely can win, whether they will is yet to be seen. So I'll let you know next week if Jeff is happy or sad. All right, that's enough of the updates. So let's get to the topic, survival of the fittest. So the original thing that caused me to come up with the idea for this topic was, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I was starting to think about opposable thumbs and how obviously we're very unique as human beings to have opposable thumbs. Not going to explain what opposable thumbs are. Look it up. Hopefully you already know what that is. We're not the only species on the planet to have opposable thumbs, but pretty much there's like lemurs and primates, so monkeys that have opposable thumbs, but that's about it. Maybe some squirrels. But when I was thinking about opposable thumbs, I was thinking how it may be the downfall of our society. It's also the buildup of our society, but it could be the eventual downfall because without opposable thumbs, we wouldn't be able to create all of the technology and the tools and even just basic things that we do. Some of these basic things could eventually lead to serious catastrophes or problems for humanity or the entire world. Despite our level of intelligence and communication and brain processing, without opposable thumbs, I think it would be safe to say that we wouldn't be living in a world where there were nuclear bombs. We wouldn't be living in a world where there is social media and smartphones. I mean, even basic things like picking up a gallon of milk out of your fridge would not really be possible. Not only that, we wouldn't be able to extract the milk from the cow's teat without our opposable thumbs. We could probably do it with our mouth. Like the little calves do, but then you would have to get the milk from the cow with your mouth, spit that into a bucket, do that over and over again until you have enough in the bucket to then go to pasteurize and prepare for sale. And I'm pretty sure that mouth milk would not be nearly as marketable as milk extracted with hands. But opposable thumbs are, again, because they really separate us from the majority of life on this planet, they've allowed us to do so much more than any other species from a development perspective, and it's made humans, in my opinion, extremely arrogant. When compared to other animals or life on this planet, we are lacking severely in many of the capabilities and strengths of other animals. 
We are not the fittest species, but we rely on our technology, our tools, our weapons. If you're in the woods and a bear is coming at you and you have a high-powered gun, well, your likelihood to win that battle and kill the bear before it can even attack you is much higher. If you're standing there with nothing but your bare hands, including those fancy opposable thumbs, you're going to die. The bear is the fittest. So that's what I mean by the arrogance that we have. It doesn't make us better organically, but it is a perceived elevation in the hierarchy of life. So of course you know me. I like to incorporate learning into my podcast, and a lot of that is because once I have these ideas, I don't know all this stuff, so now I'm curious about some of the facts and the stats, so I look them up, and then I share them with you. You're welcome. So along the lines of what I was just saying, the thing I will talk about first is the percentage of humans population-wise compared to the rest of life on Earth. I will tell you that these percentages that I found are based on finger quotes, biomass metrics. I don't remember what biomass is to even tell you what it means. But again, Google that shit, do a little homework. So trees and plants, I mean, this isn't a huge shock, but trees and plants make up 82% of life on Earth. Now, a lot of you are thinking, yeah, but it's not like trees and plants can kill us. Really? There's no such thing as, you know, poisonous mushrooms, berries, a branch on a tree can't just kind of eventually and naturally rot away and fall and break off the tree and land on you as you're hiking and crush you? Yes, it can. We think we're so special because we have all these tools like saws and chainsaws and ways to kill and manipulate these plant life and trees. Then we can turn it into paper. That is true. But don't think we're necessarily better than any of the plants or trees. And don't forget that they take up 82% of all life on Earth. The next primary category with the largest population at 13% of the population is bacteria. Oh no, like COVID? Exactly like COVID. And a whole slew of other shit that is good for you or bad for you. There's some bacteria that's good. It's like if you eat yogurt, there's active bacteria in yogurt and it's good for your digestive system. But there's other bacteria out there that'll kill you real quick. Nothing you can do about it. Your opposable thumbs, your chainsaws, your guns, your medical science, not going to fucking do anything about it. So the next primary category of life on Earth is animal life. Animal life comes in at 0.4% of total life on the planet Earth. It's not a ton, but when compared to human life, which comes in at 0.01%, that's a teeny, teeny, tiny little bit. I'm pretty sure there are certain poisons out there that are horribly lethal to you, but if there was only a 0.01% of that poison in your 12-ounce drink, you'd be perfectly fine. Wouldn't even give you farts. Here we think we're so special, we're so dominant, we are the ruling species on this planet, are we? Or are we just absolutely destructive and arrogant? Because 0.01%, that ain't shit. And all of this arrogance has led us to mentalities like greed and desire and power. And it's caused us to lose sight of our insignificance on this planet. 0.01%. 
And of course, compared to a lot of the life on this earth, whether it be bacteria or insects or birds, I mean, even a one foot long cockroach. I mean, that sounds horrifying, but that is only one sixth as long as my body. And I have more brain power. I have opposable thumbs. So why should I be afraid of a foot long cockroach? But we're essentially giants in this world. Now, not compared to a lot of other creatures. You know, you stand next to an elephant, a giraffe, even next to a big hulking black bear. We are no longer the giants, but we have put ourselves into this mindset of giant mentality and perspective because we couple in more than just our physical components and we add in the opposable thumbs, the tools, the weapons, the science. So again, we're going to do a lot of learning on this episode. Hopefully I can figure out a way to make it at least somewhat humorous or comical, but I think it will at least be informative and entertaining in a certain regard. So I apologize if there aren't as many giggles in this one, but hopefully you'll at least walk away feeling a little bit more insignificant as a human being than you did when you started the episode. And you should, because you are. So I'll start with insects, and I'm not going to go over every friggin' insect out there, but I want to talk about some of the strengths, I mean physical strength and skills and lifespans of certain insects or mammals or sea life, that's kind of what we're going to discuss because I want you to understand that from a matter of perspective many of these creatures out there in the animal life sector of our biomass are way superior to us. So first we'll just talk about ants. Before I tell you, I want you to ask yourself, how long do you think the average ant lives? Like ants in your yard or ants in the woods? I mean, we know that like a fly's lifespan is very short, days, maybe a week. So it would be easy to assume that an ant doesn't have the greatest lifespan. However, a lot of ants, just typical ants that we would see, have an average lifespan that's closer to that of a cat or a dog. Some of the ants that you find in your garden, it's possible they've been there longer than you've lived in the house. Additionally, the queen ants, the oldest queen ant documented was 30 years old. And it's not uncommon for queen ants to live decades, so 20 plus years old. That's a long time for a friggin' ant. So how many ants are there in the world? I'm glad you asked. The estimated count of ants around the world is 10 quadrillion. As a point of reference, there are 7 billion humans in the world. You need a thousand billion to get a trillion, and then you need a thousand trillion to get a quadrillion, and there are 10 quadrillion ants in the world. That's a lot. Definitely a lot more than humans. Another fact, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard, is that ants are very strong. There's a lot of conflicting stats that I read, so I kind of morphed it into an average of those stats, but an an ant can lift three times its own body weight, and more impressive, it can dangle from something while holding something 100 times its own body weight. That would mean I'm hanging from a ledge with one hand while holding something that weighs over 10 tons. Not going to happen. Not even close. I could barely probably hang on a ledge just supporting my own body weight. If you put a child's lunchbox in my hand, that's probably going to be enough to cause me to fall and plummet to my death. And I know lifting three times one's own body weight doesn't sound crazy impressive, but 
consider your own weight, multiply that times three and say, could I lift that? Take it a step further. Think about just your own weight. Don't multiply it by anything and say, could I lift that and carry it and walk with it for a long distance? My guess is no, at least not without a hernia and a prolapsed anus. So the next insect we will discuss, and I primarily chose this one because they have even more strength than ants, is the dung beetle. The dung beetle is famous for essentially finding poop from different animals, and they're very specific. Like, certain dung beetles will not get poop from certain animals. They're waiting for fresh poo from their favorite gourmet animal, and then they roll that poo into balls, which then they can kind of push or pull and roll back to wherever their nest is. They will then use use the poo for food and further nest building. Another really cool fact about dung beetles is that it has been documented that certain species of dung beetle actually use the Milky Way, so the stars, in order to guide themselves back to their nest because they're just out there blindly pushing this ball of poo. And in the study, when they covered the star source from the dung beetle, they would just roll the ball around aimlessly. But the minute the dung beetle could see the Milky Way, they were able to go exactly where their nest was. That's really fucking weird. I couldn't find my way home based on the Milky Way. I'm sure I could learn to, but this is just something built into their instincts. And they're just a stupid little dung beetle. And again, remember, a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about is for me to point out how insignificant we are and how our natural instincts and skills don't even come close to pretty much the rest of animal life. So going back to the dung beetle's strength, the main reason why I wanted to talk about the dung beetle. A dung beetle can push or pull, or I guess rather just move, 1,000 times its own body weight. That would be the equivalent of a 160-pound human being pulling or pushing 80 tons. Not gonna happen. I couldn't really find any actual population data, and I'm sure that's very difficult when it comes to insects to really have a real clue as to how many there are of this insect. They do know that there's around 7,000 species globally, but population, sorry kids, don't have any numbers. I will tell you that dung beetles have been dated back to 30 million years ago, so they've been around a long time. For reference, if you believe in the biblical tale of Adam and Eve and the creation of Earth, Biblical scholars have guesstimated that the creation of Adam and Eve would have taken place roughly 55 to 120,000 years ago. Dung beetle? 30 million years old. That's a pretty big gap, Jeff. I know. If you want to hear more about that, go listen to my religion versus science episode with my buddy, Mr. Stevie Cade. And it's science and facts like this that make it very difficult for me to believe in some of those fairy tales. Well, some of them. (laughs) Who am I kidding? So the last insect we will discuss is the cockroach. Now, we've all heard, you know, when their nuclear bombs come, the cockroaches will rule the world because they'll live forever. Nothing can kill them. Yes, you can kill a cockroach. No, the world will not be overrun with cockroaches after a nuclear war or an asteroid hitting that would cause nuclear winter to settle across the Earth because eventually the cockroach would run out of a food source and starve to death. However, some pretty cool facts about the cockroach. It can live for up to a week without its head. Can you do that? If I cut off your head, well, you have approximately uh, zero seconds. That's it. Bye-bye.
die. It can live for a month without food. I can barely make it through three hours between meals without my tummy getting grumbly. Let alone a month. A cockroach can hold its breath for up to 40 minutes. Humans don't even come close. A cockroach can run up to three miles in one hour. That's not bad. As small as they are, as little as their legs are, there are a lot of humans out there, even in their 20s, that might have had a little bit too much McDonald's and Pizza Hut. And there's no way in hell that they're going to run three miles in one hour. I assure you, I've done some 5Ks back when I was more active and exercising and running more often. And 5K is, I want to say, a little over three miles. And I would feel super accomplished to finish my 5K around 35 to 40 minutes. So again, just pointing that out as reference, three miles in one hour, that's fast, especially looking at the perspective of their size and their little teeny tiny legs. A cockroach can bite with five times the strength of a human bite. A lot of people don't think about cockroach bites, but they can, they can bite. And again, their bite can be up to five times stronger than any bite you can produce. So there you go. Humans are the weaker species. We certainly can't live a week without our head. We can't live a month without food. Definitely can't hold our breath for 40 minutes. Some people can run three miles in an hour, but not all of us. Additionally, one of the reasons why cockroaches are so hard to kill is because they can withstand three to 900 times their own body weight to avoid being crushed. That's a lot. Doesn't mean they're lifting three to 900 times their own body weight, but they can withstand it. If something one times my own body weight was dropped above me and landed on me, I'd either be dead or severely injured and hospitalized. The last thing I will point out is that cockroaches are 280 million years old. Don't forget the dung beetle was 30 million years old. And of course, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, not so much. So next, I would like to discuss aquatic life and aquatic life that I believe is as good, if not better than humans in many regards. Again, trying to remind you of our insignificance and our lack of dominance without all of our technology, tools, and weapons. One obvious thing would be like alligators or crocodiles, which we know are, you know, fierce and ferocious and can easily kill or maim a person. My mom lives in a community down in South Carolina where there are just crocodiles all over the place. She has a little lagoon out back in her backyard that this whole kind of circular area of homes surround on their backyards. And it is not uncommon to look out the back window and just see an alligator sitting out there in the water. There have been alligator attacks of dogs or things in the actual neighborhood where the alligators have come out of the water and close to the houses. So, obviously, alligators and crocodiles, but another obvious thing to discuss from an aquatic life perspective is sharks. Of all the sharks, not just the great white or whatever, but of all the sharks, the population is estimated to be around one billion. That's one-seventh of the human population. That's a lot of sharks. The great white shark, the one that we know from the movie Jaws and probably all of the Sharknado movies, which I've never seen. Now, typically, a great white isn't actually preying on... On humans. Yeah, yeah, 
but it's not uncommon for people to be maimed or killed by great white sharks or even other sharks because perhaps they were mistaken for aquatic life that is the prey of that shark. But a great white shark can weigh almost a ton. That's a big boy. And keep in mind, when we're in the water, I don't care how good of a swimmer you are, you are no match for any of these creatures. They're all going to go faster than you, be more agile. If it is a face-to-face scenario, you're kind of screwed. Another lethal member of aquatic life is the puffer fish. You've seen these, the ones that blow up. These things are incredibly dangerous and venomous. As a matter of fact, a puffer fish can carry enough toxins to kill 30 human beings. One puffer fish, 30 human beings. Do you feel insignificant yet? I'm sure running into a puffer fish is rare, just like the blue-ringed octopus or the box jellyfish. Those are both also potentially lethal to human beings. Not as lethal as the puffer fish, probably not as lethal as a shark, but one bite from a blue-ringed octopus can kill a human, and a sting from a box jellyfish. Again, we're no match for this shit without our tools, our weapons, and our opposable thumbs. Even with your opposable thumbs, not going to fucking help you. So finally, we will discuss the mammals, just like us. Kind of as a crossover, I'll start out talking about dolphins because they are aquatic life, but they are also mammals. And dolphins are considered to be the second most intelligent creature in the world next to humans. They are able to reach speeds in sprint mode of up to 30 miles an hour. Again, humans ain't running 30 miles an hour in a sprint. Just not going to happen. Dolphins additionally can recognize themselves in mirrors. That's weird. That's a pretty high level of intelligence. Because as I've discussed on, I believe, my Cats versus Dogs episode, like a bird will just fly into glass or a mirror over and over again until it bashes in its dumb little brain. It does not recognize itself at all. One thing that I thought was really cool about dolphins is that they're actually one of the few species, other than us, that is able to use tools. So over time, they have actually gotten so used to probably hurting and cutting the beaks of their nose when trying to find fish and food in these cracks and crevasses in the rocks around the water that they they can now fit sponges around their beak to protect their nose and their beak from those sharp rocks while they're fishing and hunting. That's pretty cool. Additionally, dolphins are capable of grief, pain, and joy, which I think is important because we often tend to, because we're just such smart humans, we like to use dolphins for recreational purposes, whether it's an excursion off a cruise to go swim with the dolphins or SeaWorld or at the zoo. It's very easy for us to dismiss that, oh, these animals, other than us, no one has emotions. They don't understand loss or pain or fear. Not true. Finally, the last fact I will discuss about dolphins is their population, which is roughly around 600,000. Not a whole lot of dolphins out there. Another reason why perhaps we should be more focused on letting them thrive in their natural habitat and reproduce than letting a bunch of tourists ride the dolphin and then take a picture with it. Of course, the mammal that I need to discuss would be apes and chimpanzees because they also have opposable thumbs. We've all seen the Planet of the Apes movies where these apes, with enough ability to communicate and enough numbers, there's power in numbers, are able to overtake human civilization despite their opposable thumbs, weapons, technology. Obviously, apes and chimps are, they can be problem solvers, they can learn sign language. I mean, sign language, that's a pretty 
big deal. And in the modern string of Planet of the Apes movies, that's kind of how it starts. One chimpanzee has been taught sign language, and he's able to teach it to these other monkeys in this zoo they're in where they're essentially imprisoned, and now they can communicate. They eventually get to the point where they're able to talk, which is a little far-fetched from the evolutional time period, but I want to say they're also injecting themselves with some special get-smart-quick formula. Also, I'm sure you're all aware that apes and chimps, they will beat the shit out of you. If you go to hand-to-hand combat, they are stronger than you, they will destroy you. There's, you know, news articles that come out every five to ten years about somebody getting their face or their fingers ripped off by a pissed-off chimpanzee that was a pet. It was a normal chimpanzee, but it just decided one day to go fucking crazy. Or did it? Maybe it was something that was building up because it wasn't being treated the way it was supposed to be treated. It was being treated like a fucking pet. So if you've ever had your face or your fingers ripped off by your pet chimpanzee, I'm kind of team chimpanzee on this one. So I know earlier I talked about the percentage of humans, that 0.01 percentage of making up the total life on the planet. But from a mammal perspective, you know, let's look at how many there are of some significant species of mammals compared to humans. As I mentioned, humans are at 7 billion, actually close to 8 billion at this point. It's 7.8 billion, I believe, is the number that was given for the year 2021. There are over 1 billion sheep in the world. It's a lot of sheep. There are a billion cows in the world. That's a lot of cows. There's approximately a billion dogs. And I'm not even talking about variations of dogs that are not like the just standard dog species that we know. Cats are around 600 million, so dogs definitely more dogs than cats, but that's probably because dogs eat cats. Or rather, they're higher on the food chain. I would imagine if certain Asian countries did not consider doggies to be normal cuisine, the number of one billion dogs would be significantly higher. I apologize to my Asian listeners that might have a really good recipe for Golden Retriever. For all I know, it's delicious, but, you know, it's hard to bring yourself to eat something that wags its tail and wants you to rub its belly. So, humans still winning from the mammal race, 7.8 billion, but... But we're looking at between sheeps, cows, dogs, and cats. Just those four species of mammal. We're talking 3.6 billion creatures. So again, our idea that we're just this dominant species in every single way, it's not necessarily true. But there are two mammals that probably outweigh humans, just further signifying our insignificance. That was a weird way to phrase it. Bats. Oh shit. Here we go. The only fly Flying mammal. That's right, there's no other mammal on the planet that can fly other than bats. The population of bats is unknown, but I would presume that it's pretty freaking high. If it's unknown, that means there are so many bats that they can't even throw a dart and make a guesstimate. But one thing about bats, just to point out our insignificance, they're well known and credited for spreading disease. Not just disease to other animals, disease to humans like Ebola. And the reason that they can spread these diseases so well is because they have a very strong immune system, which would also probably lead to higher population because they're not dying off from basic bullshit like COVID-19. Also, that might kind of bolster the idea of natural immunity over vaccination and useless boosters because they keep sticking these needles in our arm, but we still keep getting it. Finally, along the lines of bats, 
would be the non-flying version of a bat, so rats and or mice. I actually had, I want to say, I think I had two mice at the same time as a pet as a kid, maybe around the age of 13, 14. I don't think they lasted very long. But I'm really not a big fan of of mice or even, uh, definitely not rats. But between rats and mice combined, it is estimated that there are about 10 billion rats and mice on the planet. That exceeds humans just in the rats slash mice category alone. But all that to say, without our technology, without our arrogance, without our destructive science, weapons causing the inability for certain species to thrive and reproduce because of our constant need to build and buy real estate and expand and grow and destroy all of the Earth's natural resources and land. Without all of that, we are nowhere close to the top of the food chain. We are not anywhere close to the fittest from a survival perspective. Without all that, I assume that the population of the Earth would be way lower. I mean, you would have a lot more deaths during childbirth and think back, you know, just a couple hundred years before medical science was what it is today. In fact, while it's harder to gather data back before we had the technology that we have now, it's estimated by scientists that in the year 1800, just 220 years ago, not that long ago, that the human population was 1 billion compared to almost 8 billion now. That's a big jump. But we didn't have all of the medical science and technologies we had to rely on a lot of just instinct. We did have tools and weapons, but they weren't like they are today. I would also venture that before we had all of the developments and the ability to take over the land the way that we have, that sheep, dogs, cows, they were probably over a billion because we hadn't killed them all off yet. So let's jump forward 100 years to the year 1900. Shortly before the invention of the automobile, the airplane, this is when things really started to ramp up. Even at that point, the population of the earth is estimated to have been around 2 billion people. That means that in just the last 121 years approximately, that the human population has quadrupled. That's a lot. So don't tell me that the fact that there's so many humans on the earth doesn't have anything to do with our science, with our medicine, with our technology, with our weapons, without all of that shit, we are insignificant and definitely going to get killed by a lot of shit out there. A lot of shit that could be microscopic, like the bacteria that make up 13% of the finger quotes biomass. But again, it's the opposable thumbs and our ability to speak and communicate more so than the other animals that has gotten us to this point. But it's not all for the good. I think it's very important for us to always look at life from a perspective or with perspective. You know, when you have an annoying little ant running around your sink in the summer and you just smush it without a second thought because it is annoying. You're not considering the fact that that ant might have been living on your property for the last 15 years and it is way stronger than you. Well, from that perspective, not saying don't kill bugs. I know they get annoying. I do it. But I might have a different perspective moving forward after researching this stuff. So hopefully I have achieved my purpose with this podcast to make sure that you all feel as insignificant as possible as human beings. Thank you again for everyone who continues to tune into the podcast. I can see you guys in my stats. I love all the different countries that are absolute routine. I love seeing the people that I know are new listeners because I get a big rush from a city or a country where they're listening to just tons of episodes. 
episodes, catching up. Don't forget to please share this podcast with your friends, your family, on social media. Speaking of social media, social meets. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, TikTok, or Facebook at Jeff Becomes Jeff. And once you follow me, you can send me a comment or a post. Let me know if you have ideas for topics for future episodes. I would love to hear them. I won't guarantee that I will do them, but I would love to hear them. And I will gladly give you a shout out on an episode, whether I do or don't do your suggestion. For those of you who live in winter-like communities, please stay safe out there. It's almost over. It's going to be spring before you know it. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Jeff. night. Went to the devil and I prayed And I showed him the mess that I've made And I cried and I cried devil just laughed in my face I went to the God of fire and said can you turn the heat a little higher cause I've been burned and I've been burned a million times over but he just covered me with water so I went to the Lord of the sea Covered him with water from the land.